0: Quick, listen, enjoy. Broadcasting live worldwide. Thank
1: you for tuning in to TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running
2: Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. You're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner. America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981.
1: And right now, it's a pleasure to have with us again, Nissan Lang. Nissan Baruch Black, born Damian Jamal Black in 1986, an American-Israeli rapper, producer from Seattle, Washington. Uh, he grew up, first being a member of the Muslim faith and the Christian faith, and then he discovered Judaism as now an orthodox Jew. His family were involved in rap. Unfortunately, there was drugs and divorce and all kinds of tragedies, but Nissan Black has overcome that to become a superstar today. So, Nisim, thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you so much, Seth, for having me on. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thank you. For, first of all, you grew up, I think, till you're around 14 years of age, you were Muslim. What made you decide to change from being a Muslim to a Christian? So,
3: you know, Islam in itself was already just a, uh, you know, my grandfather was Muslim. My parents weren't actually Muslim. My grandfather was, and he came to live with us, which I think he, you know, he became a Muslim in prison. So when he came to live with us, and I started praying with him five times a day, it was more so me spending time with my grandfather and I was whatever he told me it was. He told me I was a Muslim. So I was a Muslim and I did practice and I started practicing really heavily around 13. By this time, my grandfather had already been back in prison. But um, I had uncles who were Muslim and I would say when I was 13, I really um, some inside of me wanted to really know God, right? That was the time when I was like really starting to search and, and come to my own. So um, at the same time I got involved in the Christian Uh, hip-hop program, just randomly. A friend of mine invited me. I didn't know it was a Christian, whatever. And uh, over there, I made some very powerful relationships, and um, eventually that's what led me to Christianity.
1: And you were there for how many years? You were, I think, around 14. Is that correct, about the time that you made the change?
3: Right, right, right. I was 14 when I made the change, and um, I was there for, you know, it was a very powerful summer camp. Now, I had already been spending maybe a year at this place you know because i started going when i was 13 but uh by the time i was 14 they invited me to this camp it was like a missionary camp and you know missionaries are very good at what they do you know it was a uh, and it was important for me at that time because it, it saved my life really i was already like going down a, a very slippery slope i was gang banging i was uh you know already expelled from the school district in seattle so it was a very, very crucial and critical, point. but your
1: family life also wasn't turmoil, right your there were drugs in the house, your mother, father, I Absolutely. think it was, they were separated at one point,
3: yeah, so my parents split when I was two, so I grew up with my stepfather, um who I you know I don't usually use the word step, I call you know I call him my dad, and my biological father, who you know I also grew up with, I call him my father, so it was very interesting because the house was going through this way, and although my father had you know, been a, a big drug dealer back in the day. He and my mother split when I was two. You know, all this time he'd be, he had, you know, had his time in, you know, prison came out and, and went into ministry. And now he became, you know, professor and theologian. At my house, I was still, obviously, still exposed to all the drugs and everything else that was going on. So it was very interesting how that played out.
1: So here you are, you're, but you're involved, listen, your parents were involved in the music scene, I believe your grandparents, so you come from a long list of musicians that also play with some very famous stars in the United States. Right,
3: right, right. So I, I always tell people, you know, I don't know if I had too much of a shot at doing anything else. Music is like in my blood, you know, I could have been a janitor, but I don't know, you know, <laughs> if the if the fight for music inside of me would have stopped, you know. So, yeah, definitely my my uncles used to play with like Quincy Jones, who actually is from Seattle. We went to the same high school as my, and my grandparents and um and uh, Ray Charles and other people of that nature. So big, big names.
1: Now, big names were there, but, you know, so you had the influence of your family on the big names of music. I believe at one point, I think it was 1995, though, on the personal side, the FBI raided your house, ha- your home.
3: Yes, yes. My my uncle's is involved. This was shortly after. I'll never forget it because as a kid, you know how you piece everything together in your head. I remember watching with my family on the news. You know, it was a big thing. Everybody was like, in turmoil because Clinton had declared this war on drugs. I never forget it. And I promise you, like shortly after that, we were raided by the FBI and all my, you know, my uncles and older cousins. Everything. It was like one by one. That whole next year or so, everybody was in prison. So, uh, a lot of the you know other male influences that I had in my life were were eventually gone, which probably you know to some degree was good because I don't know if it would have led me in the right uh, right path anyway. But um, yeah, a lot of my uncles ended up going to prison very very shortly after. Way it was very startling. I was on the couch as a boy, eight years old, and um, you know immediately you hear boom. And there's guns on you. There's guns on the on the on the on the family, like all over the place. I was startled. They got me dressed, sent me to school. I left the house. Everybody was in handcuffs. I didn't know if anybody was gonna be home or anything. So um, it was a very very uh, scary experience. Traumatic.
1: Did it have a good impact or a bad impact? Because you were involved in, were you involved in drugs at all? I know you were involved in rap, gangster rap. So. Yeah right i started
3: i think i had a bad impact i mean obviously just the environment overall i was smoking pot already at nine years old so at nine years old i was already you know becoming a stoner to some degree it didn't really hit heavily until i was about 12 and i was already dealing at that time i was selling weed illegally and stuff like that at that time um so i think overall it does it just puts you you know once you're in an environment you 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 It's very, very hard to grow and do things that are outside of that environment. that are not conducive there. So it's very, very interesting to watch that cycle, you know what I'm saying, continuously repeat itself, even as I look at family members and people of the past today.
1: Now, at 18 years of age, 2004, your stepfather... Had you you replaced him as CEO of Sporting Life, which means you came out with songs and produced singles like "You Need a Thug" and "This Is Why," and you came up with two albums yourself.
3: Right, right. So shortly after my mother unfortunately overdosed um, when I was when I was nineteen, and I had already been working on a project. I was, you know, that whole I want to say year and a half. I was in a, you know. Serious conversation with, I think, Virgin Records at the time, which was a big label. And um, we were sending back demos. Now, I slowly got myself back into the, like, gangster rap scene, because prior to this, after that experience, uh, you know, as a Christian, uh, converted to Christianity, I was really actually doing very well um, um, in terms of, you know, music and my behavior, the guys I was around. And after the music started to, you know, become the number one thing, got this, you know, this uh, potential offer. They want more gangster music, that's what it was. So to, in order to supply that demand, I started to change and uh, very, very fast, like hard gangster rap, hard, hard gangster rap. And that put me back in those environments, put me right back into those environments. And unfortunately, uh, you know, it started to to, to lead to, uh, to very, very scary things.
1: So you had, but you also had a success at the same time. I think your second album made it to some of the charts. Uh, the second album was that called Aliyah,
3: right? Yeah, Aliyah. So by the time, by the time Aliyah happened, wait, wait were you I Jewish? Did- were
1: you Christian at that time? Where were you?
3: So I was I was at the beginning of the project. I was Messianic. By the time I recorded the recorded, I was in my transition stage. I was leaving out of Christianity, going into Judaism. I had a two-year stint in the Messianic Jews for uh, JC movement. So, so how did um, you get
1: involved in the Jews for JC movement? Did you know Jews growing up? Did you have connections? How did you get involved with the Messianic group?
3: So I actually grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. Um, I, I actually converted in the same neighborhood I grew up in. But um, I wasn't so close to my neighbors. I would walk through a school to get to school and different things like that. Had no connection. But once I started to search on my own, now finally I'm going away. You know, away from everybody, and I got to start searching on my own. What I started to, to to realize was is that J.C. was Jewish, and there was a major major issue with how all of a sudden we get to Christianity. And some religion that's not Jewish from one that was. So I started researching and I was maybe spending eight hours a day. Um, I also grabbed the Quran at this time. I was going through all the different texts, spending eight hours a day. And the Jewish story just really stuck out to me. The only problem was it's ingrained in your head that if you don't believe in, you know, JC, then you go to hell, whatever. So um, uh, apart from Chabad.org, the only other thing you could find that was so remotely Jewish on on the Internet, you know, you know, at the rate that I was looking was was Messianic people. Um, so I started going to a congregation that wasn't far. I was a little bit in the middle for me, and I, I got very involved. And I think it was, you know, just a, a, a years of learning and trying to grow more that slowly it started to fade the more and more we started to look towards traditional Judaism. And right at a pivotal point, I met a rabbi, Rabbi Michael Skoback from uh, Toronto, and um, had a very, very powerful.
1: Um, and that was about that. You were still the Messianic congregation, but you met Michael Skoback, Rabbi Michael Skoback. Right,
3: right, right, who's a uh, anti-missionary, so to speak and the reason why i met him is because he came to one of the conferences that's what he does he comes to the conferences him and another rabbi ellie cohen who actually happens to be lubavich actually they go to these conferences and they try to speak to jews and talk to them and and, and you know encourage them back to Yiddishkeit. and so what ends up happening a lot of times they go and find a lot of people that end up becoming <laughs> and i happen to be one of those
1: so you got so you like what they had to say so you were two years in the messianic congregation and so the Aliyah album was a Messianic Jewish album? Was it a Jewish album? How would you call no, it?
3: No, I would definitely say I was Messianic. I didn't really talk about it at the time in, in the records. I'm going to go back and listen to the album. Most of it was not uh, about religion. It was just about positive positivity. Um, that's really where I was coming from on that record. And um, maybe one song on there that I kind of like make a few references. But for the most part, the album is just very like a positive, uplifting because I was, by the time I was, you know, halfway through, I was already in limbo about where I was, really, you know, and so um, right afterwards uh, is when we end up moving to the Jewish community and starting our By the time, by the time record came out, so it's very interesting that it uh, it all played out that way.
1: Now, when you converted to Judaism, was it? Did you, in particular, when you, it was Orthodox? Was it Chabad? Was it a different group who converted you? No what's well, I
3: converted. I converted actually through uh, a Sephardi rabbi. My rabbi was Moroccan rabbi Shimon Bin Zakin, and um, so we started going to the community. And uh, you know, you really don't know where to go. There's a there's Ashkenazi shul. There's a couple of Sephardi shuls. You know, there's a breakaway minion over here. I really connected with the raw uh, rabbi Shmuel Brody, who had ha- happened to be Hasidish, but he didn't have like a uh, a Kehillah or anything like that at the time. He was just a very special individual I really connected with. And I'm um, <clears throat> sorry. And then so we started uh, going towards this uh, Sephardic school because my wife really like enjoyed the warmth and everything else that she, she found over there. And we became very close to Rabbi Ben there. And um, he sort of took us on as candidates. And then I went through the base. Now, the base then was obviously comprised of. The uh, Avdeh's name was obviously Ashkenazi, it was uh, Rabbi Klitenik and, and there were some Chabad Rabbanim that were also two on the base. Now right? your wife was was was, day was day
1: Jewish night. or she also converted? What was her status when you...
3: So, Me and my wife been together since we were 17. So we're high school sweethearts. She was not Jewish. Uh, we were my guy together. Me, my wife, her sister and her sister is married to my best friend since kindergarten. So he actually is my producer. He makes all the music, Yosef. Oh, wow. making music for
1: a long time together. How did your family take, the rest of your family, your uncles or the rest of the family that you became an Orthodox Jew? What was their reaction? In
3: in the beginning, it was very hard for them. Now, interestingly enough, my father, who um, went through his own journey, obviously he's a Christian today, professor and everything else, not the same guy that was...
1: (laughs) Not not the drug addict and not the drug dealer that you're growing up, right? Right,
3: right, so... He actually was the biggest support that I had. He actually came to our afterwards, after the gave us everything. Um, and I think he just appreciated the change. However, my wife's family and the rest of my immediate family thought I was nuts, that I was going off the, the Richter's. Very interesting to see now everything comes full circle and everybody's like in major support and uh, just in love and enamored at the, at the move we made.
1: Now you gangster rap. How would you describe your rap? Cause you're still doing rap. How would you describe it today?
3: Right. I think today is much more positive upbeat. I try to get people to think I want to be able to be sonically in the pocket of rap. So where everybody can understand the the language or the lashing. but at the same time, I want to be able to put in values. You know, I try to talk about values and different things like that, that are, um, um, that are uplifting that align with the shim. So, uh, that's really what I'm doing now, just sort of trying to be able to put out positive vibes in a genre I feel like that really, really needs it right now.
1: We're going to play the Hava song right now. We'll talk about that. Here we go with the Hava song coming up.
3: Uh-huh.
2: Political stance, yeah. The political stance. But when the beat knock, got jam. Yeah. yeah, and I got the hopper in yeah. hand, yeah. Re-cool yeah. when the beat smoothies, 16, yeah. on a sweet tune. Fast yeah. forward, then I rerun yeah. it, then I get down how we do My I'm, rapping, I'm rapping, I'm rapping the beat. Yeah. And it happens to be, I see how they react in the media. I say, running from drama. But everyone I know and they mama got burning questions on the table. Yeah. They want answers if I'm able. Mr. Black, do you got a caption? Or Mr. Cannon and the Jackson? Did you read Polly on Twitter? Shut the feed, None of them consider. They may be strong, but I'm bigger. So I move on, I won't listen. Cause I work for the boss. So I'ma win cause he rigged it. All of predict predicted yeah. I ghost ride the whip and live with it Speeding on them, no tickets Yeah, got me, touch i some gifts Yeah, I got plans to make a dance I came here to make a move I know it feels familiar But this a brand new groove.
1: I love it. Hava Nagila with a different kind of rap to it. So, First of all, what kind of chassid are you? I'm a
3: breast-level chassid. I'm I'm a Rebbe Nachman baby.
1: All right. Because typically a lot of chassid, I'm not going to sing Hava Nagila. It's not the top of the hit parade. So you did it. What was the reaction?
3: It's very interesting. Wait till you see the video. actually... If you think the, the, the song's a shock, I'll wait till you see the video. I saw the video. It'll come out this week. Oh, <laughs> I thought I saw
1: one, maybe. So I'll wait to see it coming out this week. What was the reaction to it? Because it's not your typical Hasidic song.
3: You know, it's very interesting. People people love it. You know, it's very interesting. I think history, uh, it actually was a Hasidic song. Um, I think, you know, I've heard different, uh, some people say it was Gore. I recently heard from somebody who seems to be a Baki in these things. It was actually from Tona. There was a Tona Hasid. Actually, came up with the uh, with the niggin uh, and the words for havanagila. The original words for the havanagila. There's obviously a second part that was added later on, um, you know. But uh, that's what I was told, and that's why I've been informed uh, for many years, actually. But it's been interesting. People, people, people love it. You know, I think it's sort of like you know, people know my sincerity in in terms of you know my service to God and who I am. So nobody took it as. Uh, as uh, being something that was representing something that, you know, would obviously be against the Hasidic community.
1: Before we break, I was just curious, because you're black and Jewish, did you have, did you encounter any racism, whether here or in Israel, people who didn't accept you or your family or your children because of your skin color?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, depending on what you would call racism also too, right? So definitely had some issues with getting the kids in the proper schools. And, you know, there's certain things you can't help. Like a person could come here and join um, darker communities and places where they may f- feel like they fit in more um, from that perspective. I-, I don't know why I was just drawn after Hasidus, And that usually puts me into a places where there's not a lot of other people that are my color for whatever reason. Um, not entirely like that, but for the most part, it does. So um, it was hard because the kids you know, obviously are not taught. They don't understand when there's other kids of of color on how to treat them and different things like that. So we definitely had some experiences where it was hard. I don't think that like defines or even defines even not even 20% of what our experience has been, but it definitely has happened bits and pieces (laughs) here and there.
1: But did did it ever at any point, did that try to color your perspective and say, why am I doing this? If I'm having these problems, did that ever cross your mind?
3: No, chas v'shalom. I mean, I, I I came to Yiddishkeit because I was following Hashem. You know, I didn't. I never came to Judaism because I was looking for a, uh, uh, because I was looking for really acceptance amongst Jews. You know, I was coming because I found God here. So that's why I'm here. So um, the the only one that's going to make me feel that way, or whatever make me feel that way, is God. It's sort of like you know when King David was running from Shaul. You know, he didn't. He didn't say you know, well, I, I, I'm justified. Look how he's treating me. He says, no, that's God's anointed. So even the people that didn't accept my kids in different things of school, I daven profusely for them. I know Hashem is uh, very sensitive about gaming, you know? So I daven for them because it doesn't mean that they're not God's babies or they're not precious to God anymore because they did me, did, made me feel a certain way. So um, none of those things, I don't think colored me even in the least bit. I, I've only gotten more Jewish pride, but I do think it helped me Um, to to, uh, be more sensitive to other people of color who have gone through the same things. Now that, it definitely did do, but it hasn't colored my perception at all.
1: Nisan Barak Black is our guest, born Damian Jamal Black. He was first a Muslim, then a Christian. Now today, a Hasidic Jew.
2: Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
0: Please become a fan of TalkLine with Zev Brenner on Facebook, LinkedIn, Google Plus, and YouTube. On Twitter at Network. if you have an Android phone, please download our free app in the Google Store. For iPhones, download the Jewish radio app. Of course, tune in 24 hours a day at TalkLineCommunications.com for nonstop Jewish broadcasting.
2: You're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981.
1: Turn, you have a question for Nisim. Go ahead. Yeah,
4: Nisim Shavotov, I was just wondering whether you had ever pondered on eventually if it's if you're not ready for it now, I hear it. But if eventually whether you plan on slowly leaving the rapping um a part of uh, of Jewish music and coming closer to the regular pop style of music, uh whether you were thinking about that.
1: Neeson, did
3: you? Um, want, yeah, you, very good question. Uh, yeah, I got the question. Um, no, uh,
4: quite, honest, quite honest.
1: Go ahead, Nissan. Okay, ahead. I I
3: remember talking to my Rebbe about it, and I wanted to do like more nigunim and everything like that, and. and and I think he was being very honest with me. And, and you know, rap is not his favorite type of world to do. You know what I mean? Um, and and being quite honest with myself, I feel like rap is right now and has been for many years, but even more so right now, the most powerful, most influential genre in music. If Hashem does not have representation over there, I mean, you know, Caval, you know what I mean?
1: We of course will take some of your email questions, Brenner at gmail.com, at gmail.com. Here is one of Nissan Black's song.
2: This place is a dope. We are royalty. We must go back to our place in Kiswana. No. We are staying right here. This is the motherland. Yeah. Here we go. For the mama man. Yeah. Yeah, we gon' play it loud to the city yeah. Yeah, We gon' blow the roof up off. The city. Motherland bounce, check it out now. Motherland, motherland bounce. We yeah, Baba. Black and get a shopping with a Sammy Davis cousin. Tried to dodge the industry, but now my name is buzzing. They all saying that I'm conscious. I say that it's nonsense. So I say I've been on since on had an on switch. From Seattle, the rainy city where my mom lived. In Jerusalem, the golden city that was conquered. But still, we moving onward. Motherland conquest, smell me like an armpit. Yeah, yeah, we gon' play it loud into the chillin'. yeah, 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 we gon' blow the roof off the building, yeah, yeah, we gon' play that motherland bounce, check it out now, motherland bounce, check it out now, motherland bounce, we baba,
1: my mama told me that I read good, been on my straight and narrow, but my history is legal, thank God today that we could buy a box of Cheerios and Kicks, I can... Okay, that's assembling of some of the music. I guess it's in your blood, right? So for you to switch, Nisim, is not something which I guess you're prepared to do so easily.
4: No, the truth is, is that I people have to understand, like about me, people that are close to me now know, I'm very much so into looking for what it is that shim sure wants me to do. You know what I mean? Even like transitioning from more very um, openly Jewish music to being able to, that transition took me two years of being comfortable going to Tzadikim and Yerushalayim to speak to them about it. I cried 17 hours straight at the, at the cover of the arya Kadosh. Like, I'm not at all um, taking anything that I do lightly, right, as much as it may seem, uh, may appear to others because they may be unfamiliar with the genre or so. But, like, any move that i 'm making is always going to be what I feel that i that a show wants me to do, so it 's never going to be a move like of me thinking about it not from a business perspective or any of that. It will always be from what I feel is coming from coming I mean, from the thing
1: here's an email here's an email question for you, Neeson. Hi, Neeson. We met at an event a few years ago in Brooklyn. One, your message is very real. Is it possible to make more music videos similar to Fly, Fly Away? Two million views or a million years, which talks of being close. Two, where was Motherland Bounce film? And I just played Motherland Bounce. And how many black converts are there nowadays in Israel and the USA? Um,
4: okay, so a few different questions. So, and one with we'll Fly Away and all that, I'm never anything off the table. I just sort of create... Uh, what I feel and what I feel like is necessary. You know, I was having a very interesting um, uh, situation. I was realizing that, you know, a lot of people that were coming to me from from and all the kids that I that had become very close to me, Balcom and different things like that, um, were very much so into traditional um, hip hop. Meaning what we're talking, what we're calling today, modern traditional today hip hop, and they were listening to me seem like Arab Shabbos. You understand? And I feel like. You know, according to this, also we'll probably goes to the last question. And the Nishamas that that I'm supposed to focus on are, are not the ones where, you know, it's a little bit more um, clear and it's a little bit more easier for them to see, um, you know, their connection to Yiddish fight. That's not my focus in terms of that with the music. So, um, anywhere that I feel like I'm going to be able to go and grab and snatch those places, you know, sort of like. I have antibodies from a world that most people have never been in. You understand what I mean? So uh, it it is it, very much so incumbent on me. I feel to be able to go and speak to those places. So um, if the music I feel like is going to reach that place, then I definitely will do it. You know,
1: a Hindi writes. So nice. and oh, I, was say,
4: I was going to say also too. I don't know how many Ghanem there are, a black game there are, but we have a nice network of people um, here that I definitely keep in touch with. That we, we stay in touch with each other regularly. It's also between here and in the states, um, like certain like groups and stuff like that, and, and individuals. We become very close. We learn together, and uh, we got to keep it so we together. So uh, I think it's growing, growing by the minute.
1: By the way, there is one of my favorite guests was the former Prince of Swaziland. Nahum Gamzo, I believe his name, he lives in Safat, I don't know if you were aware of him or had any contact with him, but a a fascinating, fascinating guest we had. He speaks Yiddish with such a Litvish accent. Do you speak Yiddish, by the way, or not yet? No, not yet,
4: not yet,
1: not yet. (laughs) I want to see a Yiddish rap video. But coming up. So, Hindi writes... Yeah, it's coming, it's, it's coming. It's, it's coming. coming. <laughs> Hindi writes, Shalom Nisim. Did you ever think of helping Ethiopian Jewish youth in Israel who are in trouble? You'd be a wonderful role model, too. Did you think of incorporating Ethiopian Jewish music into your compositions? Todaraba Rabah. Baslacha Hindi. Um,
4: yes, most definitely I have. Uh, just over the last, I would say, year and a half or whatever, that... Uh, I've been able to see the, um, I guess somewhat of the impact and erosion that I've been able to have, um, on the Ethiopian community without even knowing. It's not, it wasn't a conscious thing. Um, but so I definitely have been, uh, thinking about focusing on that a little bit more, uh, this, you know, this upcoming year specifically, um, which is, uh, which is awesome because it helps me to, uh, to sort of Give give hope to people, you know, the same thing that, you know, we talk about, and I think some of the problem is there in America is that, you know, um, how do we look and what is our perspective and what are people's perspective of when they see people that look like us or see our color? So I think I've been able to give a lot of hope and and pride to the Jewish uh, Ethiopian Jewish community. So I plan on doing more, hopefully.
1: Uh, Here's a question from Tzvi in Brooklyn. Dear Rav Nesim, did you get smicha by any chance? Or not yet.
4: No, I did not give sneaker. I've been running away from sneaker. <laughs>
1: okay, but if you do, but, but our, 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 our guest, okay, our guest, feels that you deserve the title of Ralph Rav. He calls you Ralph Nissan. Number one, what can we do in the Jewish community to better welcome gayrim? That's converts, whether they are African Americans or other backgrounds. Two. How can we improve our relationship with African American, Christian and Muslim community in general? Unfortunately, there have been some tensions in Crown Heights
4: yeah, so i think um I think for so the answer to really your first question, especially George that uh, come I know at least from a uh different background such as myself, is that um you know I think there needs to be a a a bigger um effort. And showing the diversity within Yiddish faith, even to our kids from the, you know, from the next generation, because that's where really, that's where it really starts at. Um, you know, and I say this because like, you know, I'll read kids, books to my kids on the homish, right? And those books are always illustrated with, uh, you know, European looking Jews with payers, even though they're like dressed like, uh, 4,000 years ago, and blue eyes, blonde hair, with payers, and, whatever, and and the reason why it's done that was because it wants to give the kids to feel some shyness to it, right? <clears throat> so that the leadership kids here in the, in the, in the community, they can, they can feel some shyness to it also, too. And I think that that is an important, important point, important and I think it should also be use of color inside of these books. Here. And whether it's Sephardi Kamani, Black or whatever, to be able to increase people's understanding that there is... Uh, there, there is more than the other people that come from different backgrounds. So I think that that's very, very important. And I think the way to improve those relationships uh, with the other ones is focusing on the decline, right? It's, so for instance, I think part of the first question answers the second question. Once people see that the the face, so to speak, of, of Yiddish life is not only one way, especially in America, right? Um, that there is a diversity or whatever, then that already takes away some of the heat. Where I think that some of it is is just like you're dealing with somewhat of a, a little bit of a, a race war over there, right? Um, and it, it, us being hidden are naturally the scapegoats for anything um, that goes that goes on in the world in the in, in the first place. So especially if if they're only shown as European white, then anybody that color already. And especially by, by the Orthodox community, was generally conservative when the black community generally liberal the whole thing, you know what I'm saying, is like set up to, to make it appear that way. So I think increasing and celebrating also to other Jews of other cultures and, and other backgrounds will also show that community, and particularly particular with the other religions, I think focusing on what the main thing is is right now, there is a war against God. There's a war against Hashem, period point blank period. And I don't think so much of the procting matter um, as, as the things which I mean are the things that divide us as, as, as a faith. I think the things that bring us together and the things that we all agree with right now and there be, needs to be major movements in that direction for discussion and plans of action in order to fight the evil, um, so to speak, that is trying to fight against God in this generation. Neeson, we're, we're, like coming together on those points would be very important.
1: We're in Friday right screen. and one or two more phones. We might just want to play a little bit of Best Friend by Neeson Black.
2: <laughs> man, you know you, man. man, don't be worried about what I be doing. You're supposed to be coming to America, said be coming to Israel, man. <laughs> Whatever. What is this? Genuine Terry Cloth, man? This is authentic bear fur with a hint of life. Which bears? The three bears, man? man? Whatever, man.
1: Let's go. Okay, we'll play more of that. Uh, Deborah in New Jersey. Is that Newark, New Jersey?
0: Yes, yes, that's right.
1: Go ahead. Your question for Nathan Black.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, as you know, uh, I, Nathan, uh, well, listen, I live in Newark and, and it is all African-American. I've lived here 30 years. And... Uh, Seeing you and hearing you in in Israel, you, the sincerity and the humbleness that you put forward, the knowledge and, and the simplicity that you have about your faith, is is um, unavoidable. It is, it is delectable, and I am so grateful for your faith witness. Now, here's what I want to say, because Zeb brought up the matter of Ethiopian Jews, and I heard of. Bit of resistance, like oh boy, you know, I'm I'm a black person. He's bringing up black people that I should be associating with, but I want to put this forward as a historian of these matters that uh, I I assume you know, but I want to underscore that Ethiopian Jews were the first Jews outside of Israel, uh, or, or people to become Jews outside of Israel, um, and um, also too. Uh, Marcel Griot, uh, back in the 20s and 30s, did very important work, not just uh, uncovering uh, Christian sacred literature and Addis Ababa, but also a vast trove of Jewish material, too. Deborah, we have about a, little, about so, about
1: a moment left because we're almost out of time. I want Nissan to respond to you. So your question for Nisim is, Do you like to see even more involved? Is that what you're saying if,
0: if you know, just to if you have a historical interest, this might encourage
1: you if you're not already aware of the things have you I'll let you respond to Deborah and No,
4: I am very, very interested. So no, hopefully I didn't come off as a hesitation. Even though I probably would have been. Uh, freshly into Yiddish guide I felt like a lot of people try to push me like all oh, your color and then like I said <laughs> yeah. it wasn't so I realized it was so important. And I believe, I believe you're right. I believe it's very important for me to be involved uh, more with the Ethiopian community. And without
1: a shadow of a doubt, I do. And, and, Deborah, thank you for your phone call. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. We, I'll just read a sure. quick email, last one of the evening. Uh, uh, listen, right, there were Blacks, Jews highlighted this week's Taurus of Victor Junior for Kids, a publication distributed in thousands all around the world so uh, thank you for bringing that to our attention, Nissan, uh, How many? What's, when's your next uh, CD or uh, music video coming out? Uh, you may have mentioned that you, this week is going to be the Hava Nagila" one. Is that going to be out?
4: Yeah, so we're, we're going, planning to release the, at the, this Thursday the new Nagila" video, um, and I'm releasing a song also every week. So for the last few weeks, I've been releasing a new song. So I'm releasing a brand new song. Every week. I mean, we have a song this week. I think it comes out this Wednesday. It could be But uh, it's called God's Baby. And um, so, which sort of talks about some of the things we talked about today, about, you know, the uh, foolishness of how the rap game sort of like... So uh, we, we, uh, we admire what mind. you're doing. Uh, why, overall, just,
1: we're going we're gonna to have you back. I like you, Eddie Murphy, from Coming to America, one of your... Uh, one of your videos. It was a great juxtaposition. So for those that understood it, it was great. Neeson Black, thank you. are going to have to have you back. Thank you for joining us.
4: Thank you
1: so much. Thank really you. Shalom. It.
0: Thank you for listening to TalkLine Network, America's leading Jewish radio and TV network since 1981. This concludes Jewish programming for tonight. For continuous nonstop Jewish broadcasting, please go right now online to TalkLineCommunications.com. For more information on all of TalkLine's Jewish radio and TV shows, please call 212-769-1925 or email info at TalkLineCommunications.com.